you are listening to the Healthy Project Podcast with your host, Corey Diambolis. For more, go to healthyprojectpodcast.com. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here, the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Um, I have another great guest with me today. Um, this, this interview is really just a conversation about a, a whole a whole lot, a journey um, around mental wellness. Uh, this person has a new book out, uh, Unmasking the Hurt, which I'm definitely going to be discussing and talking about a lot in what got you to that point, uh, you know, to to get to this book and amongst everything around mental health and well-being. I have Ronnie C. Jackson or Cyrus Jackson mm-hmm. with me today. Uh, Ronnie, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to your space, Corey. This is awesome. Yes, no, absolutely. So, you know, before... We get to talking about, you know, our discussion today. Can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself, what you do, and what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, great question. I actually, you know, it's funny. I used to shun this question. Yeah, but now I embrace this question. (laughs) Yeah, but who I am, I'm Ronnie Cyrus Jackson. I'm actually a native of Des Moines, so born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa, I have since moved away and have lived several other places. Um, Professionally, I am a project manager, so I'm a PMP certified project manager. Uh, I have been in the financial industry space for over 20 years, and now currently I am writing, speaking, and advocating for all things mental health, which brings me to my book. Why did I write my book? And we'll get into that in just a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And um, I haven't been able to read the book yet. I definitely will. I've heard great things about it. I've heard, um, I saw a few videos or a video of you on Facebook. I want to say Brianne posted a video of you speaking at your event the other day. Um, And it's just, the, the beauty of that is seeing, we all know, especially in the black community, this conversation around mental health is is hard still hard and I, and I know a lot of people who are talking about it openly but the the a lot of people for me is like it's, it's not a whole lot of people if you think about the whole scheme, scheme of it it's still the the stigma is still hard to break in our community so the fact that you're able to get people together and talking about something um not just mental health but your story around mental wellness and um, where you're at, that is, uh, that is commendable. And that is, is not, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. So, you know, tell me, tell us a little bit about your, your journey with mental health. You know, what, where, um, where did the, the courage inspiration come from to write this book, uh, Unmasking the Hurt? (laughs) Such a great question. So, The inspiration came, Corey, it was back in 2013, I actually started a nonprofit here in Des Moines, and my nonprofit was called Absolutely You. So it was absolutely and positively you, really embracing our 
authentic selves. And so when I started that nonprofit, I also had started some healing circles for girls and women who had been sexually assaulted or raped or sexually abused as children or molested as children. And so I wanted to talk about and discuss and create space for those girls and women to uh, connect with one another so that they could support one another. And what I quickly found is there was no curriculum written at that time for that specific niche, that specific area of need. So I created my own curriculum. In creating my own curriculum, that actually birthed this book. So that curriculum that I created in 2013, this here book is now the narrative to that curriculum. And that's mm. how this came to be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what so tell tell me a little bit more about you know as you're creating that curriculum and talking about something that is, you know, for a lot of people people want to want to hide it or not don't even know where to go. What was that how was that mentally for you? You know, preparing mm. that and trying to help these women and, and, and girls talking about something that is so, so hard to talk about already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Thank you for that question. Um, how was it for me? Actually creating the curriculum was easy. Let's take a step back. You asked a question a couple moments ago that I, I didn't answer and I want to. You said, tell me about you and where you've come from. And so it's to understand me and where I come from, you will then begin to understand the curriculum and the need for it. So growing up here in, in Des Moines, Iowa, I grew up to parents who were not able to take care of me. They didn't have the capacity to take care of me. I write about it in my book. Um, and so I grew up in and, and I aged out of the foster care system. And in the foster care system, I experienced every kind of abuse um, uh, that you can imagine. So sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional, spiritual abuse. I experienced it by every single adult who was responsible for caring for me. And so along my, along my journey, I become pregnant and gave birth to my daughter. She's now 29 years old. Um, but I was 13 years old when I became a mom. And so wow. it was in that season of my life, early, you know, the early parental or mothering season that I'd made a choice for myself that regardless of what was happening to me, I was actively being abused even when I became a mom because I was still in foster. I was in eighth grade. I was in middle school when I became a mom. Yeah. And so the commitment that I made to myself and I made to my daughter is if I had anything to do with it, I was not going to allow her to experience a life that I did. And so and so when you think about that tall of a commitment, what I realized quickly is I had to do something to heal what was broken on the inside of me. Now, understand that in the 90s, <laughs> this wasn't healing was not a mm. popular conversation. I will say I didn't get right there. I had some detours along the way, and I talk about that, too, in my book. But eventually, when I got married, um, I was 24 years old, still a young adult when when Craig and I got married. Um, 
it was a situation where we were not getting along well and communicating well. And what I quickly realized after a suicide attempt is that I needed to live my life differently and I needed some help doing so. So began my serious, and I say serious, my serious attempt at counseling. Because as a child in the foster care system, our social workers make us go through counseling and that's part of the whole thing. So you go through the motions. But as an adult, I had begin, I had, I had become awakened to the fact that I really need to talk to someone about my adverse childhood experiences. In this space, we call it ACEs. I have an ACE score of 10. And that's the highest score you can get. And so we can talk mm. about ACEs if you want to go down that road as well. But um, anyway, just moving through my journey, I realized I wanted to dedicate my life to helping people who have gone through things that I had gone through. Because when I look back, I remember thinking to myself, wow, who is it that I can call on for help that would understand? And there was nobody. So now I seek to be that person that I used to look for. Yeah. Wow. I got to let that breathe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you went from yeah. a traumatic experience as, as a child, another traumatic experience as a child. And this is, man, this is why this conversation, you know, Ronnie is so important because you never know what somebody is going through, right? Like we connected first week, we connected on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I see your LinkedIn profile, yeah. right? PMP. It's got the smile looking good, but you never know what somebody's experience is, you know? And what's so powerful about your, your message one, the courage to, to talk about it. Some people would take that to the grave, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm just being real, oh, right. That's real. But mm -hmm. not only is real and, but you're, you're saving so many people. And I already knew this book was, you know, a must, but definitely, you know, for those, um, for women and girls out there, you know, this is definitely something for them. But uh, where I was going, where I was getting, getting at with that is unless we talk more and ask the questions, we'll never know how we can help somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And man, hearing your story, that is um, powerful. That's a powerful story. And, but, but tell me, this is my, my question for you. And I do want to talk about ACEs and, and get into that for the audience to those who don't know, but um, I'm, I'm curious how long before when you said, you know, I kind of want to make, write a book and, but understanding you're going to be unpacking some serious, serious things. What was that internal dialogue like that? I'm sure there was a battle of like, mm -hmm. I got to do this. And there was somebody that was like, no, we don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what was that? Yeah. Hmm. You know, writing has been therapy for me. So I've been writing and journaling for a very long time. The writing part of it was easy. It was easy. I mean, I, I can flow an outline and, you know, after having 
all these educations and letters behind your name, you kind of get in a flow and a routine of knowing how to write something. Corey, the hard part of this journey has been arriving at a place of acceptance that I will no longer hold shame or guilt or regret behind my childhood experiences, nor will I allow others to impose, project, deflect, you know, their experiences on onto me. So making me, if you will, um, and I've experienced this, feel shameful for sharing. So I and so what does that look like, Ronnie? I've had comments like, well, what goes on in your family should stay in your family. You ain't got to tell all your business. Well, some things mm. should just be kept to yourself. Well, does it really take all of that? I mean, these are comments from what I have come to recognize as hurting people. But these are comments that are made because people are uncomfortable with perhaps the information I'm sharing or they resonate with what I'm sharing and it's too difficult for them to wrestle with. And I get it. Mm. And so, and so why, or so what was that process like? I battled between, between the two things of, am I sharing too much? Am I being too vulnerable or, and, um, wow, I know this will really bless and help someone because I know I used to look for women who I could resonate with and they with me when I was going through my journey and I never found her. And so I think what it boiled down to for me is what is my motivation and answering that and being real within myself, what is my motivation, good, bad, or indifferent as far as the responses I received, what is my motivation for writing? And it, it, and then it became really easy. My motivation is to help someone else who is on their healing journey to find hope, move to a place of authenticity and experience transformation in their life. Then it became easy. Mm-hmm. What I hear you saying, yeah, what I hear you saying, is, it sounds like you recognize that the conversation was was bigger than you in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like there, there are, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, 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 I agree. The conversation is much bigger than all of us. And really, when you attach Ronnie's name or when you attach Corey's name, or you attach whoever's name to it, it's all of our stories. Mm-hmm. We're in this together. And so it's it's oh, it's, yeah. it's the power of one, right? It's just it just takes one domino to impact all of the others. Why not start with me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Gotta start with someone, right? Mm-hmm. Um you brought up aces earlier and your score of a, of a 10 for those that are listening or, or watching that don't know what that means or what a score of 10, you know, kind of means. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, so aces aces was and and I write about it in my book and you can also Google aces. I do want to put a disclaimer out that I am in no way a trained therapist or counselor. I'm not licensed However, I am a certified mental health life coach, and I've been certified since 2014, 
and I have been practicing since then. And so when I talk about ACEs, I'm talking about ACEs from my lived experiences standpoint, not from a clinician standpoint. Okay. Now, saying that to say, what I have come to understand and know about ACEs, ACEs is an acronym or it's, it's the initials of Adverse Childhood Experiences. And Adverse Childhood Experiences, well, what it was, it started out as um, a survey. It was some research done in a medical setting in a hospital by some very smart people. <laughs> and um, what they had seen and recognized is in the healthcare system, they began to recognize a commonality amongst the people who were coming in for treatment in their emergency rooms, I believe. And so they began to ask questions. Those questions led to a 10-question survey we now call the ACEs or the ACEs survey. And I, again, I talk about that in my book, and you can Google it as well. And so the questions on the survey, they are surrounded around childhood experiences related to neglect, abuse, household dysfunction, and then any... Um, stressful experiences that a child may have uh, experienced before their 18th birthday. So if so, said question would read, have you ever, did you experience, and it's either a yes or no answer. So the yes equals one point. No's get zero points. So then you add, and there's 10 questions, you add all of those up and that is your ACE score. So there's 10 questions my score was 10. So that means that I had scored in every single area on that, on that survey related to abuse, neglect, household dysfunction, and stress, the type of stress I'd experienced as a child. Okay. So then you take, you think about that from a traumatic experiences perspective. It's no wonder that people's behaviors when they experience childhood trauma mm -hmm. is, is contrary to the norm of society, societal norm because they're acting from a place of trauma. And so when I, you know, reared out of the foster care system and I started adulting, if you will, <laughs> going to work, I was in, mm -hmm. in all of the things, I found that. I wasn't relating with people well. I found that I was self-sabotaging at work and limiting myself as far as advancement in my career. And through counseling, I realized it's because I was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. Who, who knew? However, mm. when you think about it from an ACEs perspective, my behaviors were absolutely normal for the amount of trauma that I had experienced as a child. So then it became a situation where I got to choose the next step. Did I want to continue down that path or did I want to change my life? And changing my life meant I had to do some very hard work through counseling, with mentors, even learning new life skills like how to be how to emotionally regulate. I had two emotions that I operated from as a child because I had no clue about emotions. It was either happy or sad. And so, mm. um, so I talk about all of this in my book. And um, so, but, but 
to your point, to your question as far as what is ACEs, I also want to add a, a, a comment here that I don't think the ACEs study um, does a good job on. They don't talk about culture very much. And sometimes mm. what's normalized, especially in the black culture, those are, it might be considered dysfunctional for overall society, but in our communities, it's absolutely normal behaviors. That was challenging for me. So when we begin to name mm. things, in my experience, while I was in counseling early on over 20 some years ago, when I begin to name things and my counselor would say, do you recognize that as trauma? No, because it was normal. For instance, we'd call right. people uncle and, oh, that's my cousin, them, but you don't know how. And those are the same predators who was molesting you. <laughs> yeah. You see what, wow. see what the confusion that, 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 that it could produce yeah. for a child. So I'll pause there and I'll let you, I'll let you go. Yeah. It's, hmm. There's there's so much with with that. What what I would like to know is so you you have the score, and now you're almost. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But it sounds like you grew up with with no foundation, and now as an adult, is going through therapy with mentors. Some things you're talking about, you're having to build a foundation on sand a study a, a steady a strong foundation on not a, not a great place and it's it, that almost it sounds physically mentally and emotionally exhausting yes yes i would say yes what you are what? sensing is correct hmm? what kept you strong though because now though you though as as we all are still improving still building still doing what we have to do especially when you're talking about trauma but you got you you probably were here but now you're here you you leveled up you kept leveling up what kept you motivated what kept you kept your eye on the prize to keep going when maybe some people were like like you know what I'm I'm done trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, great question. So for me, it was a couple of things and it was a series of things. It was for me, my motivation did not come from one experience or one person. Number one, I would say knowing that I had a child to take care of who depended on me. Mm -hmm. I knew that I did not want her to experience the same life that I had. So that was, that was my first motivation. Number two, when I was in junior high school, going into high school, I was introduced to the Upward Bound program. And in Des Moines, Iowa, Kim Jackson was the Upward Bound program director. She still is to this day. Shout out to Miss Kim. And what Upward Bound gave me was exposure to college. I had never heard of college in my life before mm -hmm. 
I was in eighth grade. And so with the Upper Bound program, it's a college preparatory program for high school students who had a desire to go on to college. And so um, when I learned about that program, of course, I enrolled. And I'll tell you that the previous director before Miss Kim, she was not fond of me because of me having a baby. And she was she, she did she didn't like that idea. Okay. Um, nonetheless, Miss Kim gave me grace and allowed me in. And so as I was able to go off and visit colleges, spend the night on college campuses, interact with college students, as a high school student coming from the hood and from where I came from, that was my way out. I seen those experiences at um and college visits as an opportunity for me to get out of the hood and to help me to better my life. So that was another motivator for me. And then three, I I would say my my faith, my faith in Jesus Christ. Now I understand everyone doesn't participate in higher power and that and I totally respect that. But for me, it was my faith. What I began to know is that there was something and someone greater than me controlling my life. And I knew that I had a purpose in this world that I needed to fulfill. There was a reason why I was here and why I existed and why I had survived all that I had. So I had a job to do. And so I just had like an innate feeling of I'm going to make this turn out for good someday. Those were the three things for me right. that motivated me and kept me moving forward. Right. Wow. That's that's amazing. I'm gonna say that a lot during yeah. this conversation. Yeah. Like that's just it's so it's just so uh man, it's just so motivating for me just to just to hear that. You know, um unmasking the hurt, your book that we've been talking about. What is your what would you like people to get from this book? What what's, what are what are some things you would hope for them to learn or, or takeaways from this book? Oh, there's so many takeaways. Um, I would say let's go with the top three. The top three things I would love for people to take away from the book. Again, it's unmasking the hurt. Um. A journey of healing with hope, authenticity, and transformation. Number one, I would love for people to see themselves in this book. Understanding that all of our situations have will vary. We don't go through the same things. However, what I do believe just as a human race is that we can all resonate with the feeling of hard things. And so once we experience those hard things, now what? So I talk about, I give practical um, tools in the book about how to move past hard experiences. That's number one. Number two, I would like for people Mm. to know that they are not alone in their suffering and silence. Imposter syndrome and imposter behavior. There's a lot of folks out here posing, y'all. Like it's all good and they have Mm. had their life together all the time. And that's not true. People are lying. Yet this whole buzzword these days of authenticity seems to be attached to everybody. Well, if you're so authentic, why are we why are we going through these gyrations and not just being real and saying that we all experience hard things? Why is that such 
a hard or a taboo topic. I'm trying to normalize that topic. And so through this and the topic, let's be clear, mental well-being, mental health. Yes, that is something we all experience at least once in our lifetime is hard things. So through this book, I want people to know they're not alone in the hard things that they go through. And then number three, I want especially women and girls, I want them to see themselves in me. What you see today has not always been. It's been an evolution and it's been Mm. by my choices one day at a time to do the hard things in counseling, to face myself, to forgive people who have offended me and and violated me in major ways, and then making the choice to do something different. So that's what I want people to get out of the book there. I want them to leave, leave having read this book, leave more hopeful. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's great. You know, before I get you out of here, Ronnie, I know you said you're, you're a, a life coach, right? And, um, and so you have some experience with having this conversation about mental health and, and kind of breaking that silence or the, you know, breaking the stigma around having the conversation for, you know, what, what are some of your, you know, your go-tos and some of your tips are for somebody that wants to have a conversation with a friend, coworker, family member um, about how they're feeling, or maybe they're noticing how someone else is feeling. Right. And, but they don't know how to approach it. What are some great tools they could, they can be utilizing to approach the conversation and to, to make talking about your mental health just as normal as talking about sports or talking about the weather? Yeah, great question. So this is my favorite question, and I train around this a lot. So I want I want to be clear that when having a conversation around mental health, understand it's a sensitive subject and everybody um, is at a different space in their life or in their experience that you as a person initiating the conversation, should that be the case, understand timing is critical. At the family mm. dinner table, that no, that's not that. It's not the time for it. <laughs> so respecting some <laughs> respecting the timing of the conversation is critical. Number one. Number two, I'm assuming if this conversation is going to be had, that there is a relationship that's understood mutually between the two of you all that makes you initiating the conversation okay. Because just because we're curious right. about somebody or someone or something doesn't give us permission to broach broach the topic. If there's no relationship there, right. it's okay that you notice it, but you don't have permission. You don't have permission to talk about that. That's just boundaries. And then so timing, understand the relationship. And then number three, I think it's important that when you do talk about mental health, you talk about it from a space of grace, a space of love, and a space of encouragement and help. Coming at the topic of mental health from a shame-based perspective or a blaming or an accusing, accusatory standpoint, that's not helpful for anybody. 
And so understand yeah, the approach no. you take is <laughs> critical. So yeah. let's, let, let, let's role play, Corey. Okay. So say I'm okay. going to give an example of, this is an example of how I would approach a situation. If say you were a good friend of mine and I knew it was okay. Okay. I would, I, Ronnie okay. would say, Hey, Corey, assuming the timing was good and all the things. Hey, Corey, um, is this a good time? I've been thinking about something and I want to hear from you about it. Is this is this a good time for you? And you would say. Yeah, right now, this, this is a good time. Yeah, this is a good time. Good. Of course. And then and then from that, once I got permission. So what I did is I asked permission. That's respectful. That's respectful. Mm-hmm. So I'd show respect. I'd show care. Next step I would say is I've been feeling the type of way and I just, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. I've noticed that when you and I talk, I am beginning to feel a bit of anxiety um, based on what's being shared. And I just want to ask, are you okay? Are you okay, Corey? Your turn. Mm. And so you, what I will say, the mm-hmm. way, so the way you approached me there, mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I, okay, this is a safe environment and a safe space for me to tell you how I really feel instead of just going with, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good. Because you communicated to me, you're getting an energy from me. And and I'm like, okay, this is what this is why. And 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 because there is that rapport in that relationship, I I can I can express that. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. So I so then I would go in this probably just telling you what's going on with me. Yeah. And why I'm, where I'm at. Hey, I'm I'm stressed about work or my kids is acting crazy or you know, I, I bills is due and I ain't got no whatever the case yes. may be, and I can just lay it out. You gave yes. me permission to, to give that to you. Yes. Yes. And so then once, and so I would listen and I would listen because usually what happens, there's power in the pause, right? We can't become so mm-hmm. comfortable with hearing our own selves talk that we never make space for others to talk. So I would, I'd, I'd cast mm. my net and then the fish will hook it and bite. And I would just, I would just listen. If we were in person, I would probably be intentional to start moving in on you. And what I mean by moving in is getting close. And what I have found is the closer I get, the more raw the feelings become. Sometimes tears come. Sometimes anger comes. And I would continue to lean in, eventually probably placing a hand on your shoulder or on your knee just to let you know I'm here. I got you. I'm holding space for you. And I would just let you breathe. And when I say breathe, vent, get it out. And when you're done, we would sit for a while. And then I would ask, how can I help And I would let you dictate to me how I could help you 
I would never, ever, ever dare assume that my way of helping you is what you need. Because it, it, it might not be. Maybe you say, you know, allowing me to get this out has been so much help because I have been holding this for so long. Thank you. Right now, I'm just going to sit with this. Even though in my mind, I might think, oh, well, I can have a whole laundry list of resources for you, but that's not what you asked me for. You just right. asked me to listen. And so I would respect right. what you asked me for. And then if you wanted to continue to talk, we'd continue to go back and forth that way. The conversation would indeed be led by you, though I initiated it. That's how, in my opinion, you begin to have conversations about mental health and well-being one-on-one, uh, -on -one, allowing people to own the space, you making space to hold them while they vent, while they breathe. Is that helpful? Wow. That was that was very helpful. And I think it's going to be very valuable for the people listening, for sure. Um, man, that was good. Thank you for that. Good. Um, Ronnie, again, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast, um, sharing your story. Uh, I'll make sure I have the, the links to your, your book that it's on Amazon, correct? And people can go and, and get Noble. that. You know, um, yes, for sure. Um, outside of the book, if you know anybody wants to get to learn more about you, connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so there's a few things. I am on LinkedIn is my primary um, platform that I that I associate on. Uh, and I'm just Ronnie Cyrus Jackson on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook under Ronnie Jackson. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Hmm, not as much, but I do check it a couple times a week. And it's absolutely you on Instagram. And then my website, it's just Ronnie Cyrus Jackson.org. Awesome. Well, again, Ronnie, thank you so much. And again, I'll make sure I have all those linked in the description of this episode. So it'll make it easier for everybody to get to those if they want to connect with you. Um, Ronnie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I truly appreciate uh, your time and, um, and sharing your story. Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll let you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye for now.